0: Poker's legendary champions, next-generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson.
1: Well, hello there, friendo, and welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson, and today's guest on CPG is not only one of the greatest online MTT players in the world, but is also an all-time great in an area very near and dear to my own heart—poker training. Benjamin BinCB789Roll is the founder of Raise Your Edge, where his flagship product, Tournament Masterclass has become the gold standard in MTT training and has helped countless poker players, including past CPG guests and one of the top poker streamers in the world, Matthew Staples, realize their full tournament potential. He's also pretty good at poker too, with past successes on the green felt, including taking down the 25K Sunday Million Super High Roller on GG Poker just a few weeks ago for almost $400,000, scooping the GG Poker Super Millions for $424,000 and winning the gargantuan 2016 102K buy-in World Championship of Online Poker Super High Roller for over $1.1 million after making a deal with his friend, Wonderkind and past CPG guest, Fedor Holtz. Oh yeah, both he and Razor Edge have also recently become members of Team Poker Stars. In today's episode with the great cb 789 you're going to learn Ben's origin story into the world of poker, his surprising driving force in launching Razor Edge, hint it wasn't about money, why he's recently decided to get into the esports business, and much, much more. So now, without any further ado, I bring to you one of the human beings who pop into my head when I think of poker greatness. The one and only Benjamin, BenCB789, roll. Ben, welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness, sir. How you been, man?
2: I'm fantastic. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's been, uh, yeah, you, you know, you've been one of the top online tournament players in the world for quite a while now, so it's yeah, it's great having you on here. I think that like you kind of embody chasing poker greatness, right? Like founder of Raised Your Edge um, seems to be a major part of your life pursuit.
2: Um, yeah, I'm. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. That's what I'm striving for. I wouldn't actually call myself a top poker player because I'm not having the volume uh, as other top poker players. So wouldn't do justice to all the grinders out there. And to me, a top poker player is also defined by its uh, his volume. And uh, so, yeah, since I'm mostly playing Sundays and, and streaming it because I'm so busy with Razor Edge and other projects, I just don't find the time to play more often throughout the week. So, yeah, just my <laughs> thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the hazards of making a training site, right? Or growing mm-hmm. a business is like, yeah. you just don't get to grind as much as you did before because you just have so many other responsibilities.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've been playing poker full-time for a lot of years, um, five, six, seven years. And at some point, you just also would like to do something else. Um, and I've reached the highest buy-ins, at least online, and I felt like there's not so much more, right? I'm I'm the type of guy I I need I need new challenges, I need to climb somewhere. I mean, if they would have regular 25, 50, 100K online tournaments going on, I don't know, but just I feel like there was not so much more to accomplish. I mean, there's always more to learn. um, That's for sure. But you don't need to have a perfect game, right? So it was enough for the stakes I was playing. And I'm still super hungry to learn more. But I just don't have the strive to grind regularly anymore, grind a bankroll. And I think this is also where I realized it's so much more about the process, It just the struggles the rewards moving up moving down it just um made me uh provided me with with the fire the passion the motivation and yeah once once you reach a certain level it just this this falls off right of course the buy ins that i'm playing you need to have a decent bankroll and uh you 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 worry less about moving down just you don't have the the process the 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 journey of of becoming a poker player anymore And this is where I I just feel less motivated to grind as I used to like five years ago.
1: So where does all that passion and fire go these days in your
2: your day-to-day life? I think just seeing the feedback when I teach something and people are literally mind blown. When you share something about certain spots or certain exploits or just seeing things from a different perspective, also cleaning up with some misconceptions that have been out there for several years and i think that's just so rewarding and uh yeah so
1: so helping other folks um yeah 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 yeah, improve their games
2: is where where the passion
1: goes to and yeah yeah i mean this is like just quite similar to how i feel as well you know as a professional poker player since 2005 just playing cash games um
0: yeah
1: helping Folks teaching, mm-hmm. uh, doing this podcast It's just very, very rewarding. After being on the yeah, grind for, for over a decade, it's a new, new challenge. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, contrary to what many folks who are outside of the training space think, uh, it's quite difficult. <laughs> Poker is difficult, and teaching and training is also quite difficult, and its own separate challenge.
2: Yeah, um, the the biggest challenge was for sure to. As a poker player, I can explain things in a way that probably beginners or intermediates won't even understand. And when you're surrounded with also a lot of other poker pros and you talk on a regular basis, it just becomes to a level where an outsider would have no clue what you're talking about, even someone who is into poker. So then going back into explaining things in a very easy and comprehensive way so also beginners can grasp the concepts and understand what's happening, what's going on, it was definitely the biggest challenge. and need to remind myself, all right, keep it easy. Um, Maybe talk a little less, maybe explain things in a simpler way. And that's for sure the biggest challenge.
1: Yeah. The curse of knowledge is quite a difficult opponent to crack because you you forget, you you just forget how much, you know, and how much just, yeah, it's, it's a difficult challenge teaching folks, but I think also it, it's very helpful going back to like the roots and the basics and drilling them yourself because like it, it solidifies it in your own mind as well. The, just the fundamentals. And at least in my experience, I found that like going back drilling the fundamentals and like really learning how and why specific things happen and being able to explain it very clearly just made, has yeah. made me a better poker player. Like there's, it just yeah. has. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go back so we started sort of present day but tell me about your journey into poker you know before you found the online poker success that you found at the
2: beginning it was being very stubborn losing my bankroll multiple times
1: Hmm. no no no. let's go let's go like childhood ben like how did how did you
2: enter the world of poker how did you find poker through friends, basically through friends, I mean back then it was being played at school during breaks what uh, year was back then two thousand i think my first um, two thousand six i think when my first uh were, um yeah where i got got to know poker online poker that it even exists um and uh I was very skeptical, you know, it's like, it's a scam, you know, it's just, I had some friends that even, sh- I think it was back then party poker and they told me about party poker. I was like, I was not interested Then 2008, seven, uh, you know, you have home games with your friends at school at home, et cetera. And then 2009, I think where, uh, and then 2008, I think for one and a half years, I was just trying to with short stick strategy and sit and um, to a bankroll no strategy no nothing no charts and just failed and i didn't want to listen to my friends they told me you know you should use some strategy and read a little bit into it and and try to learn the the concepts behind it but i just didn't want to so you know failed massively um went broke three times i mean broke like my 50 dollars that i deposited but then i think i needed a fourth or fifth time and then i finally realized okay i just (laughs) i'm just bad at the game and i need to spend some time on studying it and not just be so stubborn thinking that I'm the, the best just because I win some home games against my friends where everyone is probably just drunk and has no clue what they're doing you know and then you play online and even back then just like people were so bad like including myself it was it was so 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 bad compared to today and it was still good enough if you just played some basic just just follow charts I think just following preflop charts you just made so much money. What
1: led to the shift in thinking that like online poker is a scam to, you know, even trying the short stacking without a real strategy?
2: Not oh, just my friends making some money out of it. Um when you see usually I would then tell my friends, you know, yeah, I don't do this or I wouldn't do this because it's a scam. Typical um average people um yeah, judgment, so to speak. And then uh, just seeing friends succeeding uh, led me to change my mind.
1: Yeah. And then, so once you started trying, you know, <laughs> what you're like, okay, maybe I need, maybe I need to like study some strat here. Uh, yeah. Tell me about your progression from that point on.
2: I, it was just grinding charts. It was just grind. Like it, it was at the beginning, it took a couple of weeks to get into it, but then it was just constantly um i i wasn't even putting a lot of time in post-flop if i remember i i think it was just raise seabed raise seabed raise seabed raise seabed and if you have a good hand bet big and try to get the money in the it, 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 that's that's pretty much it which i think even today is super important um i there, i didn't even know what to do on turns i didn't even know how to talk to bluff. i had no clue I remember a conversation I had with a friend of mine who one year later, I started playing professionally and I was telling him, yeah, I'm struggling with a bit on a downswing. I, I, I started on seriously playing. I started on $1 singles then I moved up to 2 then $5, then seven fifties, dollars I think $10, maybe around like 750 dollars $10. I was a bit stuck, had a bit of a downswing. And he said, he asked me, do you also bear returns? I'm like, what the fuck? What do you want from me? <laughs> you know it's just just a second barrel as a bluff on turns which is something i would never do bro
1: i'm raising pre-flop and c-betting the flop like what what are you asking me to do you want me to bet the turn too that's madness yeah
2: no for for value of course but it's like yeah you you know maybe because it was just like you were just playing your hand what's it was enough it was totally enough and um and i think even then further like i just i was so bad at post-flop uh everyone especially in sitting goals in tournament especially sitting goals just The level of post postcard play was insane. And even on mid stakes sitting goals, I remember, there wasn't even bluff 3-betting going on. You were literally arrested and then being sent to prison (laughs) if you were bluff 3-betting (laughs) pre-flop. So, that was just um, something. You had your charts. You know, you would 3-bet Queens plus from middle position. You would 3-bet 10s plus from the button. You would 3-bet or goal in with 8s, 9s, and 3-bet Or whatever kind of charts you had, which is super linear approach, like polarizing shit didn't even exist you would play your hand strength blockers didn't even exist like they existed
1: we just didn't know about them
2: (laughs) yeah yeah of course exactly um it's it was it was a crazy times
1: tell me you mentioned you went pro a year after what was your life like you know when you went to school growing up like what was your aspiration
2: career wise Mm mm-hmm I I didn't have really an aspiration career-wise. I just liked the game. I liked the fact that I was learning something. And I was always fed up with the regular jobs where you're being paid on a monthly basis, which makes no sense to me. I think you should always be paid based on your performance and contribution. At least to a certain degree, you should have incentives. And in poker, I really liked it because and of course there's luck involved but for the most part if you play like shit you lose money if you play well in the long run you will make money right and this is something that uh, i i found fascinating it's just and being being in charge being responsible for my own luck uh, so to speak um and that's where i started uh yeah uh, i think it was at the beginning of my college um Like 2010, 11, when I started studying, that's where it got more serious. I mean, in the beginning, $1 singles, you play two or three times a week. But once you started, you know, from hundreds to thousands, that's where it's like, oh my God, there's a lot of possible. And yeah, it was was just college grind, college grind. I was still playing for a football club back then as well. So two, three times a week practice, match day at the weekend. Uh, I had a girlfriend. So it was just, there was not so much time for anything else. Uh, because I also took my study serious, because poker was still like, yeah, okay, you started making a few thousands, but like, is it enough to you know after studying to really pay expenses, to build wealth, and then and, and maybe buy a house with that money? So I always wanted to have this plan B. So I finished my study, I uh, passed all the exams, made my degree, and then around 2014, 15 when I was in the second or third semester of my master's. But I also realized I don't learn anything. It's just such a waste of time. I'm not learning anything about how to operate a business, how to manage a business, Uh, it was just such a waste of time. Yeah, I had my degree. And that's when I moved also to England and uh, met, lived together with Stefan Sontheimer, Rainer Kemper, uh, the German crew started working a lot together, studying together. I mean, even before that, I think we met in like 2013 or or 12 even, but in 2014, we moved together. So started a, um, a living together with grinders. And yeah, that was massively beneficial when you surround yourself with other poker players who have similar goals. It's just, um, yeah, you watch out for each other. You support each other when things are not going so well. You kick, kick each other's asses and... That was the best thing I could ever do, yeah, you have like basically a private coach
1: twenty four hours a day <laughs> like yeah. you all you yeah. all have private coaches, you're all coaching yeah each exactly other at the same time, yeah um tell me about you playing football, and mm-hmm. any takeaways from just being a competitor that you believe helped you as it relates to your poker journey
2: yeah, um. I mean, when you play football, even if it was during the youth, it was already on a, even though I was third, I think I play, started playing football when I was six or seven for a club in Germany. And I both, I don't know if you've heard of them. They used to play Bundesliga back then. They played second league, moved up to first league. So the, the entire club, the entire um, infrastructure was led in a very professional way because when the the first team is playing, basically... Premier League level in Germany, everything is um, driven to a way that the youth is coming up and essentially replacing the pros at some point. Um, so you had a lot of practices, a lot of trainings, uh, summer camps, preparation camps. Um, so I, I learned to be disciplined, which was super important. I, I realized like without training, without discipline, especially if you compete already in a high level. Like, I mean, it was not paid, not professional, but for that level, being 14, 15, it was the highest level in, in my area at least, or in in, in the city, uh, or maybe maybe even on a state level, uh, the highest you could play. And you like if you're out for two weeks, you just fall behind so much. And yeah. Also ego. I, I had huge ego problems. Um, I mean, that's just something. Uh, if I look back, I would do so many things differently, but you know, you're know, you 14, 15, 16. You, you, you don't think like that. And also that in those team games, you are very much dependent on so many other variables, your coach, your teammates. If you just have a coach that doesn't like you, no chance. I had coaches that liked me. I had coaches that didn't like me, and you could see that even though I would put in the exact same amount of effort, with some coaches you do better, with some coaches you don't. Um, it's just how it is. If they have a certain philosophy of playing the game, then and there's, or maybe they don't like you for whatever reason. I mean, they they they're supposed to be very neutral, but you could just see that certain. I mean, you still have it in, in the highest levels today that uh, there are fights, there are arguments, heated arguments between player and coaches, or certain resentful remarks after a player left towards the coach yeah um and 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 this is where poker really fascinated me because it's just up to me i'm not depending on a coach i'm not dependent on a teammate uh i build my own poker buddies i can choose who i want to study with and who not so there's literally nobody to blame i i could blame people and football and uh, i might be right even though but it doesn't matter like it's you know i still i still choose to play football for Seven, eight, nine years on a on a very competitive level. So at the end of the day, it was still I'm the only one to blame. I knew what was going on. I could have stopped any day. It's like all right, but I signed up for it, right? And it's the same in poker with luck. People complaining about bad beats. Well, you idiot, you sign up for it, then don't play it. <laughs> yeah, you you've
1: brought this upon yourself. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably just it's human nature to connect with certain people in different ways. You know, even as just a yeah. uh, poker coach, you know, I think we have students that we favor more than other students just because Absolutely. for whatever reason, they just resonate more deeply with us as human beings.
2: Yeah. I have some emails that I get, people asking for private coachings, just the way they write the email. I just don't like them. Like there's, <laughs> there's just nothing bad about it. Um, what can you do? It's, it's, a, it's the most normal human emotion that you like certain people and you don't like certain people. And I'm not just making this for the money. And I know the student wouldn't get as much value out of it. So I just, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't take students right now, whatever. Um, But of, of course, I'm not going to write them, hey, I, I don't like you. But you just get the vibe, someone the way he writes. It's like, nah, that, that wouldn't be a match. Or if usually I do a first hour or just a 10, 15 minute chat. And if it turns out, listen, like I'm not going to be the right guy for you.
1: Yeah. And it's quite important too, because like the student coach relationship is a two-way street yeah. and like, you really have to enjoy working with yeah. the person that you're taking on as a student else. I mean, just a lot of things kind of fall apart. Like you, 100%. you, you don't coach at the level that you're capable of. You don't care at the level that you should, or that the student desires or needs. Um, it's just really tough. And, yeah, I think it's it's very important to filter out the folks that don't automatically resonate with you as a coach, just kind of straight away. And the reality is like just hu- different human beings connect with different people. And, and that's just the reality, right? It's like, there's nothing yeah. wrong with, with you. It's just, this doesn't work. And there's
2: somebody out there that it will work with. So,
1: yeah. you know, fi- find them, right?
0: I think
2: also very important to find a good coach is someone who, te- who can literally tell you to fuck off. If there's a coach, because then you know he does it because he enjoys working with people. If he tells you, "Listen, like it's it's not meant to be," I I simply don't feel like the chemist. I remember I had one coach that I was working with. It was not a poker coach. It was like a like some sort of self development business coach, and uh, we who I really wanted to work with here in Vienna. And we had a call, and it's great, great vibes. He knew where I was coming from. Uh, He could uh, help me with my problems. So then we made a follow-up meeting and we scheduled for like a random day, whatever, Friday. And the week before I called him and said, listen, I need to postpone. I need to fly to Berlin. And he said, sure, one time I postpone, but the second time I won't do it. There's just simply too many time wasters out there. I have a very, very tough schedule. If you want to postpone a second time, it's all right. If you have other priorities in your life, I only want to work with people right now that see this as one of the highest priorities. I know shit can happen always. It's a one-time thing. Um, and first I was like, who the fuck do you think you are? You know, my ego was hurt. Why would you even consider rejecting me? But after after a couple of hours, I was like, that's good, man. That's great because he's not just doing it for the money. He doesn't need to coach me. There are unfortunately too many coaches. I mean, at the beginning, if you build your career, you probably take on more students. And later on, you're going to be picking the cherries. And you're going to be more selective. And this is how it's supposed to be and i just realized all right he's doing it because he's enjoyed doing it and he takes the coach student relationship very very important i i had coaches who i realized throughout the session i wished i was not so experienced they would step in and say listen let's stop it
1: yeah it it removes the thought of possible like manipulation right i think that it like it increases the level of trust in the relationship mm-hmm. which ultimately those kinds of relationships are just built on trust that that's all they can be built on, um, from both sides. Yeah. Let's, uh, speaking of coaching, you know, going back to you launching, raise your edge, uh, mm-hmm. what led to the launch of raise your edge and what year
2: did you, did you launch? Um, publicly it was launched. I mean, incorporating it officially in the registry and company books, et cetera. Um, public company books, 2014, but it really started 2016, 17, when I launched the term masterclass. I launched a sit and go course, which was based, there was no marketing, no social media, nothing or just for me. Uh, At the beginning, I wanted to just have an information page because I got a lot of requests back then for sit and goes. there was not really sit and go content and it spread the word that I'm offering sit and go coachings. And I got so many requests and I was tired of explaining how it works, what they need. I just wanted to have an information page. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized while I was doing the coachings, well, I'm actually teaching the same a lot over and over and over again. So I started recording videos um, where I was teaching that in, in video format and put a little course together, a sit and go course, and started making some money through those sit and go courses. Um People really liked it, even though the quality was pretty bad. I mean, I was editing myself mostly, you know, I, I had one web, I had one web designer. My partner left at this, some point earlier, he got another offer for a regular job that he wanted to take. Um, and I just kept doing it all by myself. Um, but then 2017 with the Channel Masterclass, I think things kicked really off. And my main motivation was back then, I know, I didn't know a lot, if 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 any at all, really structured, good content. I know Upswing probably had some courses, but especially in, in for the European market, German-speaking content or English-speaking content, it was very rare. It was very rare. I don't want to offend anyone now. It's like, hey, there was this course already before. You might be, but I simply, I was not aware that, hey, this is a really structured course. A lot of the times there was um, poker platforms, but you just got X. Ex- you could sign up. I really love what Run and is doing, but I think that illustrates it really well. And I think they also made a shift: is you sign up and you get access to thousands of videos from different coaches. But it's it's really hard. Where do you start? What do you watch? What should you prioritize? Right? It's still great content, and I just wanted to do it a different way, where I um, basically tell them, okay, start here, A, B, C, D, and finish there. So a bit more structured, and yeah, and and it got I don't know, just went, I don't want to say viral, but I think back then that was the way to go for tournament content. And uh, a lot of streamers uh, got aware of it that even approached us if they can work with it and represent it. And yeah, I think we were just at the, um, made the right choice at the rate, right but I, I didn't even plan. I was like, I just want to do this, you know, uh, I just, I didn't really like, oh, I want to make X, X, Y, Z amount of money. I just, I really wanted to do this. I wanted to put all my knowledge together in a course. And see if it works or it doesn't. I didn't have, probably that's also an advantage. I didn't have the pressure of money, you know. Um, why were you I was so doing compelled with
1: poker? Yeah. Why, why were you so compelled to put out this course? Like, you know, you, you said it didn't matter how much money you made, it was just yeah. in you. You just wanted to do it. Why? Why?
2: Yeah. Because A, there was not really structured content, right? There's, there's just something. Uh, the way I was learning. And I also wanted to do something new. I mean, I've been playing poker for so long that I wanted to discover the business side of things. I wanted to, everything that comes with it, legal stuff, taxes, building a website, talking about marketing. Yeah. Yeah, All the challenges, hiring people, um, firing people, you know, I mean, even though that's not the most pleasant thing, it comes to just the whole package when it comes to business. And Tying this in with my my passion, playing poker or teaching poker, um, I really wanted to do this. I really wanted to um, it just, it just, I was mind-blowing to me in all these coachings, uh, how, how unaware people were with just some simple insights, how they can literally re- revolutionize their game. And it was similar I had with certain goals that I had these coachings in tournaments I also back then had a coaching for profit stable, and at some point I stopped doing private coachings because I was just saying so even though it was individually, but it always mostly came down I would say eighty percent of the time the same leagues as everyone had it, It's kind of funny that you say that uh,
1: so in the last couple of months, I've started my own CFP group Wolves, mm-hmm. um, for very similar reasons of i'm doing private coaching sessions and I'm feel like I'm doing the same private coaching session, like a billion times over and over and over again. Like yeah. let's be more collaborative about this and do a private coaching session, upload the replay so that my group of guys can watch the, re- like everybody yeah. has access to it and we don't have to like cover the same thing a hundred times. Yeah. Um, and then the sequencing, like, like you said, you know, I think it started with probably Cardrunners.com. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Where, yeah, yeah where just like upload a video, watch the video. Um, we got a bunch of videos that we're going to upload on a regular basis and you just kind of go at it however way you want to go about it, which can be great. However, there's no like sequencing. There, there's no like, oh, I watched this video. So where what do I do after this? You know, you kind of yeah. have to figure it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. And poker is just such a big, complex game that people get Totally overwhelmed. They they don't know what's most important or most valuable yeah. to work on in, in that moment. They get overwhelmed and then, like, I think that the impact kind of lessens the more mm-hmm. overwhelmed folks feel.
2: Yeah. I think private coachings are very helpful for poker players. Um, because you have someone that can tell you exactly, okay, this is what you need to work on. I think it just gets very tedious. I, I know even if i think about european pads um you know a lot of these online crushers that are also coaching i think they also stopped their stable at some point a uh, couple one or two years ago with bit b and i just know from my personal experience and also other coaches that just it gets it gets not tedious but bland at some point because you just and it's a great way of doing this by the way how, how many students do you have right now in the CFP program um I have 7 with mm-hmm. some more consoles this week and
1: my goal is to get to 10 um by March 5th. Uh, okay. Then, yeah. That's the So that's you're the trying point.
2: to automate the process basically.
1: I am. Um you know it's been got it. It has been a very intense project. Uh, over the oh, last, cash game like, tournaments cash games cash, cash games, games cash games only um over the last four or five months it's been you know just building out sort of the the methodology the training uh sequentially and now the primary focus is on onboarding and yeah you know sequencing things in a way the screening that,
2: process i guess is the is a challenge
1: the screening process is i mean it's not such a challenge right now for me because mostly what I've done is brought on folks that I've worked with for like the past year, uh, private coaching. So I have a relationship with pretty much every single person that's in there. I like them as human beings. I, I know that, you know, they have a lot of capabilities to play poker at a very high level. So screening right now is not an, a major priority just because like, I, I know everybody, um, mm-hmm. my major priority is like integration execution, uh, removing okay. points of failure, minimizing as points of failure as much as possible.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. But yeah. It, luck with
1: that. Thank. Thank God that I'm not the only uh, poker coach that at some point was like in the beginning. Like, I guess it's probably true for most things in the beginning. Like, it's very fun. It's very challenging. It, it like it was an obsession, right? Like trying to figure out how to communicate to to folks, yeah. uh, very specifically to help. And then I guess. Over time, it, like you said, it, it's not that. Yeah, I guess boring is not the or tedious is not the word, but it just wasn't as stimulating as it was before. I wasn't solving a problem yeah. anymore. The problem was yeah. kind of like already solved. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, at some point, also when I when then the chair master class was out there, um, based on what I charged, I was like, listen, I'm not trying to say anything, but you get a much better deal by just getting the course. especially when you get a discount. Yeah. Um, Instead of having six, seven, eight hours with me or any other high high stakes coach. So this is just something where uh, I think you could just get better value for your money. That's why I I do see, um, I mean, if someone really wants to have coaching with me, if I have time, I, and there's a match, I do it. Um, But I mostly focus on like high, high, high stakes players who, really want to find tune their game where you really need to look into, okay, what can we do? Because they, and this is something I enjoy. This is something I, do, I truly enjoy um, because I've been setting very high standards for myself and I always try to find small edges. So, and something I can enjoy, I, I believe I can also contribute or deliver value to the student who then can excel his game and make the money back that he has investing multiple times. And that's the only time where I, I really strive as a coach uh, with already pro- established professionals could also be mistakes, but should already be uh, established. And, and, and usually, like, uh, yeah, I would say for the most part, I, if someone is new to the game or uh, really needs to work on the fundamentals, I I usually reject uh, because I just don't enjoy it. Like maybe it will change. It just, it wouldn't be fair to the student. Um, yeah.
1: I do the same thing. Um, Well, I did the same thing when I was doing the private coaching. Like you have a consult and somebody's just not at a stage in their their poker journey. And like, I have other courses like preflop bootcamp that just focuses specifically on like the fundamentals of strong preflop play when they're playing cash game. And like, Mm. don't pay me $800 $800 so that I can just tell you like, yo, you're messing up pre flop. Like this is a three bet. Don't flat, don't flat from the small blind or, you know, just some of, some of those things, you know, it's like buy pre flop bootcamp, go through the course. Um, and you know, we'll have another conversation like after that. But I mean, don't pay me 800 bucks when you can pay like $300 and get a course that solves a lot of the things that we will inevitably talk about over our, our four hours together.
0: Yeah survived pre-flop boot camp. You've shot the fish in a barrel. Now, prepare yourself for the feeding frenzy. A comprehensive strategy for gutting every fish in your player pool. Data-driven hero bluffs, light call-downs, and perfect value bets that are maximally designed to hurt some feelings. Feeding Frenzy available now at ChasingPokerGreatness.com Poker slash Feeding Frenzy.
1: So, no giant um, expectations, I guess. You made your initial course without really any monetary expectations. Uh, tell me about the reception, because I know that you know your course at Raise Your Edge was cited by, I believe, Matt Staples um, and many other people as just being a no-brainer, like just a thing that every yeah. MTT grinder just should go through. Um, really no excuse. So tell me about you know getting that reception from the Pokemon mm-hmm. world and yeah, going through the challenges of growing your business.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is something we're really fortunate with that a lot of streamers really liked studying with it and um that it's a very practical approach. So from the the main goal for the course was that I will that's at least what I try to achieve. That I would never say or leave it as it is, say, okay, you have to be tighter here, you have to be looser here. That I always provide examples or exact numbers or exact hands, what you should be adding and deliver immediately and have so that it's a good mix of theory and practice um i was really tired of people you know this guy's aggressive so you should be you you can be a bit looser here from the cutoff but when you want to learn poker you don't really understand what it means to be looser or tighter
1: you don't even know what it
2: means if somebody's being too aggressive (laughs) exactly how do we quantify
1: somebody's being too aggressive maybe they're just being appropriately aggressive
2: yeah Exactly. So I was always trying to, okay, this is the proper strategy. If they show up with these hands or certain frequencies, working with stats and huts, um, I, I, I try to show them thresholds. So if someone is a it, that means he's looser and he's probably through getting these hands. It's, and this is a challenge because you'd never know 100%. And you always have to emphasize on the fact that...
1: You're doing the best you can.
2: Be, yeah, you're doing your best you can. It's just a matter of um, being better than your opponent's making fewer mistakes than them and you never need really need to hit the accurate and perfect range it's a it's a long-term game and just making fewer mistakes than your opponents in the long term will make you the money um and and that was a big challenge because it's so easy to say yeah you know okay against this guy three bets ten percent you just mix in four bets you just be a bit more aggressive then you move on it's like nope Okay, show a hand example, show exactly how a 4-bit bluff range could look like in this spot, which which hands I personally would add that make the most sense. Because especially since I want to elaborate on a lot of exploitative things, you cannot just pull up a a GTO chart because we're talking about exploitative poker. We're talking about poker, how it works in real life. So I need to sit down, maybe do some calculations, which hands are the most profitable to, to call or to raise or to fall or whatever, and then to come up with hands that I do believe based on my experience, based on my research, what work the best, whether it's for preflop ranges, entire course, all of the ranges. I have been living, sitting down doing a lot of HRC calcs, adjusting my opponent's ranges, see, okay, what is the new output that I get? How, what does perform well against the real three betting range and not GTO three betting ranges, which are far off reality. And then basically um, created all those charts and, uh, that was the biggest challenge and i think it was also one of the reasons why it has been so well received from um a lot of the streamers because they understand that you know they, they play low and mid stakes and it's not gto poker out there and yeah we hit there we have received heat that our ranges are not gto but i've never claimed this and i never want to put gto ranges um, in in a, in a 1200 course it is it is a lot of money and it was basically also when I made this course, I was like, I'm not going to sell it for cheap. If I nobody's nobody buys it, fine. I don't care, right? That's like what I actually mean with, I don't have any pressure because I know I'm going to put a lot of value in there. It's going to help people and they're going to make ma- their money back multiple times if they do it, take it serious. And if not, if people don't want this. All right. I don't care. I'm not going to put 10 years of experience in a course and sell it then for $200. Absolutely not. Right? Um and then, all right, people just don't want it. It's okay. I keep grinding myself and uh, keep making money with poker. And I think not having the financial pressure really helped with my business. Uh, and this is something I always emphasize when it's about, I think, poker and business. Maybe business is a little bit different, but you should not have financial pressure when you start playing poker. Uh, you're going to be way too emotionally attached. Don't don't try to pay debt, your debt back with with poker or try to make money to buy something, it's it should not concern you. If you can take one one K from your savings and the moment you deposit it, see it as gone. This is lost money.
1: Ah Ben, this is the benefit of being older and more mature. I have to 100%, I do, Yeah, I know. <laughs> have to, I, I know at least in my case, um mm. there was a All the financial pressure but also none i think because like as a 21 year old kid right like i didn't have responsibilities and so like where i needed to make money i didn't need to support anybody but myself um you know and i probably the same for you playing the the one and two and seven and ten dollar tournaments like from the beginning um and, and i just think that that's like it just depends on your life situation as it relates to how old you are what you need to earn but it is very difficult when you're trying to count on making money playing poker um Mm. in a game with just a lot of variance where just even the best players are going to lose and like they're gonna have big downswings and if you have no way to you know stabilize your bankroll then you're just
2: heading for a world of trouble yeah, what does it mean? You said you you had you were in some financial pressure. What was the situation for you like? Uh, were you living on your own, or well, you to what an extent you had? No. <laughs> I needed to make money. So you really you, you really you really relied you really relied on the income through poker. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So
1: I was um, 19 years old, and I just told this story on thinking poker, but I was 19 and a friend traveled through town. I was working as a server at Applebee's. Like I had, which is, you know, I don't, I don't know if they have Applebee's in Germany, but (laughs) just like a, a lowish level restaurant, um, waiting tables. And I, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Honestly, like nothing made sense. Nothing pulled me in. I just couldn't figure it out. And he came through town and, Um, we talked about poker and basically from there he was already like grinding on, uh, I think he was grinding on party poker back then. Like, but yeah, it was like 2004 ish. Um, and I just saved up like three or $4,000 and moved 10 hours away and just said, I'm going to play poker. Like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. So yeah, I didn't have a job in Florida. It was only poker. Um, which was quite stressful. And very fortunately for me, I uh, luck boxed um, like a fourth place on party poker, like one of the 200K nightlies for like 15K, which was quite a relief. Um, And yeah, so ever since that point in time, like poker, well, I guess until the last couple of years running the business was just like
2: my sole source of income as a human Mm -hmm. being. What would have happened if you would not have been that fifteen k or let's just say if you would have not made a substantial amount of money to I would have secure your life expenses well what what would have been the worst case scenario in that situation?
1: I drive back home and
2: start my job again and save up more money, you know so but that's that's exactly what I mean with yes, you had financial pressure, but you haven't really, and this is what I mean that a lot of shares um Their worst case, they start playing poker, and if it doesn't work out, the entire life falls apart. Yes, especially when they have families, they start gambling with their savings, and that's what I mean. Where that's basically your last, final lifeline, and this is just not going to work out. And I mean, you have. I I also had a friend here who um, he was debating for months and months. Should I try this? Like, listen, like save up some money that you have for a year, take some for the bankroll. And try for a year going full-time. What if you fail? Well, I could go back to my old job, you see? like, And you could maybe crash on a friend's couch or move back to your parents for a few months, which was all options. So that's the worst case. Versus it works out and living the ultimate freedom. Today, he's traveling the world. So it's you have a lot of these stories. And I think, uh, I I don't mean like financial pressure. Because even I, according to your definition, I also then had financial pressure. Like I... You know, studying poker, playing poker was my own, only income. So I had this financial pressure, but even if I go broke, it's like, all right, I start a regular job. You know, it's like, uh, and the, the most important thing is where, because when you have this financial pressure, it's just so much is on the line that you then start making dumb decisions where you start borrowing money or taking money that you're not supposed to take. And then just trying to win it back, playing higher stakes. Neglecting bankroll management. And this is just where you start making idiotic decisions that can really harm your life. And unfortunately, I get these messages a lot where people are like, yeah, I fucked it up and I should have listened and proper bankroll management and not played under this pressure. I always say, get your shit together first and then you can play poker. I agree 100%.
1: And that's like a number one red flag for me when I was doing the private coaching consults is like, what is mm-hmm. your life situation? Mm-hmm. Um, are you, you have a family and you're planning yeah. on quitting your job to play poker, but you have no record of winning and you know, you want my help. Yeah. Like, sorry, man, this is not, <laughs> this is not a good fit, right? Because it's just yeah. way too much risk when you have all of those responsibilities. It's just, absolutely it's irresponsible. It's not a thing that, that you mm-hmm. should
2: do. Yeah. Um, 100% agree, and I, and I think it's similar with business, and that was a huge advantage for me that I just didn't have this pre- like even less than with poker at the beginning. I I mean, listen, like there's probably billions of people that had worse. I I I wasn't born in rich; It was just average. Working family, I would say, maybe a little bit better than the average person we could afford some vacations. we had a nice apartment, but it was all my 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 parents always taught me to to stay humble to be grateful for even if they just bought me football or shoes for playing football um so i I was very grateful for that, but yeah, we, we weren't really like super rich by any means, but then when I moved out, my parents also wanted you know to not um, to basically teach me life, you know, that I'm on my own and now, you know, I have to do everything by myself. I said, if you want to play poker, play poker. All right. If that's what it is, you're not going to get a lot of money from us. So, um, there was, and now with the business, since I could have failed this business and nothing would have changed, uh, with that situation. I, I just realized when you really have, um, this maybe also level of confidence is just, it's such a huge advantage. You can make very clear decisions. You don't have to make decisions just to quick some chase, chase, chase some short-term profits because you need to make money uh, and you can really think about the long-term, how to build uh, a healthy, sustainable business and do the things you enjoy plus people want. For me, the ultimate equation of success and making money um, then it's not for me personally. I don't believe in this "follow your passion" bullshit. Um, because if there is no market, if there is no demand, then it's not going to work out. I'm sorry. Um, so that that's just something um, that that I. Well, realized. You can't follow
1: your passion if there's a market,
2: <laughs> right? Is that? Is no, that but a... people want to. If if we talk about making money, if we talk about like for most people, the the metric of being successful is making money, right? And I just follow your passion, right? But if there's no demand, you're not going to make money. Yeah, Maybe yeah. you create a new market where there will be demand because you solve a problem. But I just, I mean, yeah, good luck with becoming a chess pro today. You know, just-
1: Creating your own market is not a thing that is advisable. It That is like
2: the, the hardest way to go about- Absolutely. I'm just money. saying it, it. it's possible, yeah. but it's incredibly difficult. But if you just think about it, why have been people so successful in making money? Yes, they followed their passion, doing what they love. I think it's super important. But also on the same side, there was interest for that. There was interest for your service. I mean, even chess today has actually gotten quite popular. But like five, six years ago before the, what was the next Netflix show called? It's uh, Gambit. So, yeah. Becoming a chess pro, even if you're one of the best, you barely make any money. If you're If you're not like top three, top five, if you compare that to other industries or sports where just being top 30 top 50 top 200 in your country uh, you can also mirror this for for any other kind of industry in business i just I, I i see it people approaching me with projects and business ideas and i'm like it's just meant to fail just yeah it's your passion it's good for you that you enjoy this but people don't want it people don't want it
1: yeah you basically need to be very secure if you're going to just do something because you want to do it, you know, in your life. If, if
2: your passion is mixed games and you want to open up a mixed game poker school, good luck with that and having two students in a, for months. It's just, you know i Hey, I'm I've saying? had at least
1: and, eight mixed game guests on the show. There's at least eight people out there. No, might- it's great. I love
2: mixed <laughs> games. They're just, you know, building an empire, building a business. Again, if your goal is also to make a substantial amount of money, if maybe just making a little bit of money, then it's a different equation. I'm just, you know, yeah, what, no, what is I, being shared on social media. Hey, just follow your passion, everything. You you want to be rich? Uh, there's one part, 50% of the equation missing in my opinion.
1: No, I, I agree. And Chasing Poker Greatness, Seven Card Stud is, it's going to be launching in the next couple of months. So everybody stay tuned. Um, actually, the two people <laughs> who probably won't would never even listen to this show um, that like Seven Card Stud, stay tuned. <laughs> um i noticed that not only have you built uh you know a, a really big following on youtube with raise your edge you have a personal youtube channel as well could you speak yeah. about you know why you you made the personal youtube channel
2: um yeah i wanted to also talk about topics that are non-poker related i didn't want to mix the two um on the two separate poker and then um i don't know just stuff that um intrigues me and I've been working on basically it's and i a lot of people are gonna cringe now it's a self-development challenge but only the stuff that I've been trying out and that I've been going through basically just sharing my experience. Yes yeah, so things that I've read journal. things journals that I've applied yeah for competing on the highest level and I think um, I don't don't want to put myself too high but I, I think I can res, relate very well with what people are going through if they try to um, become competitive. I mean, I've been competitive literally since I was born, since I can think. And, you know, I went through the same shit. Like, I was, in my youth, I was such a dumbass, such an idiot, big ego, fucked up multiple times, didn't understand poker at the beginning. You know, I'm not, like, overly smart. I, just, I feel like I, I, I'm not overly smart, but I'm clever. My grandpa always told me, you know, you don't need to be a wise ass. You don't need to have a lot of degrees. You don't need to be intelligent. Just be clever. Don't fuck it up big time. Try out things. Take risks. Just be clever about it. Find your way. What you does know, clever just- mean to you? Clever means to me um, that, let's say, intelligent would mean to me that if there's a question, I know the answer. All right. I'm intelligent, I know the answer. Clever means I find a way to find the answer. Or I I know someone that knows the answer. Or I find a way to evade the question so I don't need to answer it. So um, a good example is maybe university. So when we had a lot of exams, I realized that, uh, first of all, the way I was studying. Like I was usually trying to um, not pass any exams. And, and when we had something that is important, relevant for the exams to learn it right away, because if you wait three months and you start learning right before the exams, it's just so much harder. So I, I mean, I was playing poker almost full time. I had, I had, um, I, uh, I was still playing football. I had a girlfriend, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot like just, College and poker at the same time was already. And at the beginning, I had a side job at a cashier in a supermarket when I started playing poker for the first year. So I needed to be very, I, I think clever and smart goes in the same category for me, but it's a little bit different than intelligent. And when they were evaluating the exams, it was hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of papers. And it was really just two or three different professors or students that were evaluating those documents or your papers. And I knew they they need to fuck it up. And basically, not many. Uh, sometimes for some of the exams, it was just me that one used to got your evaluation. I was like, I feel like here and there, they could have been interpreted a different way or saw a mistake. And I went to back to them. And very often, I would get a better grade because they overlooked something. But most students were too lazy for that. So there's just one, one example and also the way I was studying. I just tried, okay, I didn't have as many time as, as others that were studying full-time, you know, that were just daddy's son and studying. I, I didn't have so much time. I barely went on any uh, parties in university. So I had my priorities, but I still needed to be clever and smart about my time. That's basically how I distinguish um, being clever, being smart with being intelligent.
1: And as it relates to your poker journey and cleverness, what do you think was the most mm-hmm. clever thing you did uh, like sort of in the, after you exited the beginning yeah, of your career?
2: Uh, I think surrounding myself with uh, very like-minded people. You don't need to be intelligent to do that. If you're intelligent, if you're overly intelligent, you can probably figure out all the shit by yourself, but I'm not. So I need to have people I can learn from, but I also can share my own experience, my own knowledge with.
1: To be fair, maybe you could figure everything out by yourself, but it, it takes a lot longer. Yeah, it would take <laughs> it, me it an enormous amount of It takes a long, yeah. long time. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, I suspected that would be your answer, but I just wanted to hammer it home for the listener um, that surrounding yourself with people who are immersed and have a similar goal is just, you, you can't, I can't really overstate how valuable it is to your progression. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and that's why I also think for example with your coaching for profit program the the value not only comes from from your coachings and what you learn but also just having other people in the program that you can connect with that's massive value and most people heavily underestimate this and it's, it's unbelievable how many messages i get and people asking ben i don't i don't have anyone i'm on my own like can you coach me or where I find do I find poker friends? Or where can I connect with people? I'm like, dude, are we living in 1950, 20 years before the internet? <laughs> Have you heard of forums? <laughs> Have you heard of Discords? Haven't you heard of these programs where you can meet? And a, a lot of the times it's it's you you can sign up for, for very little money or even for free. Like our Discord is for free, forums are for free. It's so easy. It has never been easier to connect with like-minded people. You can
1: just tweet, like you you can connect with pretty much anybody that you want to just on Twitter. Right. And like everybody has communities and discords, like there are places where these human beings congregate, go congregate with them and just join the conversation. You know, that's, that's really what it boils down to.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Um, you mentioned
1: something there too, that like, I, I couldn't agree more with is the value of uh the other members of the cfp and communicating with each other meeting with each other using one another as a resource um is just massive for for the members of of that group and it's something that like i'm constantly guys throw up a zoom meeting like when you're going to review your your pots bigger than like 10 big blinds like review them together talk about things together like Um, If you're building out like a presentation on conceptualizing strategies, like talk with the other wolves who are in the group and communicate, like, what are you both working on, you know, and, and help one another? Because it's just, it's so invaluable. Like it's just so important and it's such a, an easy resource for those guys to take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So we'll, let's move to some lightning round questions here. Uh, all right so when you think about joy in your career playing cards what's the first memory that comes to mind
2: Probably winning the my first scoop title in in Canada for like 200k or something um I, at this point in time I transitioned from sitting goals to tournaments and yeah also the fact that I was We were with a group of poker players, with Fedor Holtz, Stefan Sondheimer, Rainer Kempe, uh, Koray Aldemir. Was Koray with us there? I think he was, uh, who just won the WCP main event. Um, Yeah, and a bunch of other guys. Um, And yeah, just great to celebrate such a victory with your friends in your back, you know, uh, you have a beer What was, in the, hot atmosphere, tub. What was the atmosphere like? Um, oh, it's in insane. I mean, back, like, I mean, to be fair, these, in these days winning 200K online, it's just, it, it's happening left and right. With these, like, even a 2K is nothing special anymore. Back then, like a 2K was, wow. Throughout the week, you had the Sunny and the $200 buy-in, and I think you had maybe one 1K tournament that was, like, special. So everyone was waiting for Scoop and WCOOP. Uh, it was just the most prestigious series, which I think to a certain degree it still is, but like at this point in time, it was just, you know, you were just, we were super horny <laughs> to, to play those, uh, that series. And celebrating this with your friends is just priceless. So that's what, what came to my mind when I think about joy, for sure. So, the opposite question when you think about pain in mm-hmm. your poker career, What's the first oh, memory that comes to mind? 2012, I think I had a stretch for one and a half years just running terribly below EV incident goals. I was almost half a year. I was on the verge of quitting. I had great friends supporting me. I was still break even throughout the year and making money through rakeback. It just, I was running, I think, three, four, 500 buy-ins below EV. I also made a YouTube video on that. It And I was revisiting some of my old entries a post on my blog on pokerstrategy.com and it was just absolutely painful and i was super desperate. Uh, it was very painful for me because i was not winning and I, my ev went up and i just couldn't uh i was also running limit code. I mean back then i was playing 100 200 500 1000 2000 5000 dollars in goals and you know if you yeah you win 100 200 300 dollars in goals but you break on everything above uh, because you just run so terrible it's just a massive pain. Yeah. Do you remember that turning around for you? Yeah, it just suddenly started running better. I don't know. And then it just it went the way it went down, it went just straight up. Like just absolutely insane. I don't know. It just from one day of another it started turned around. You know the most brutal thing about downswings are not the downswing itself. It's like the downswing after the downswing. You know you, you run a bit bad for a while and then you're fighting, you keep yourself at break even, maybe it goes up, you get your hopes up and then just boom, it goes down again. And this is where it can be very devastating for your mindset. But I I, I got familiar with it quite well, and especially hyper hypertrophy singles. the variance is insane. And it's easily possible that you would just run terrible for very long stretches. So this is just something where then, I don't know, at some point I was just, running so much better. And I think it was in around 2013, also 2040, then winning in China as well, where things started going much better. Yeah, the the
1: internal strife and anguish that the downswings cause are often just like the worst part of the downswing. Just like the self-doubt, the anxiety, the struggle, the frustration, the anger, um, the sadness, just all the emotions. um, And then... Like you said, you go on a downswing, you get back to even, and you're like, oh, it's my time now. It's it, it's time. It's turning around, and then boom, down again. It's, uh, yeah, just devastating.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. What
1: would you say is the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey?
2: Actually, I would say the the friendships. I, I would have not expected that. For me, it was always more like a business, uh, but uh, what Kind of deep relationships you can develop through poker was very, uh, yeah, very unexpected
1: to me. Yeah, same thing. For well, me. what was it for you? Same the friendships, the relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, I can when I so after Black Friday, I lived at Commerce and was playing like 60 hours a week at the Commerce Casino, Cash Game, the 1020 game, and I don't remember very much. Like, I remember. handful of pots that i played in that time but like i have really good friends that i've made that i communicate with to this day and and one of the guys that i met in that time is like one of my best friends in the world um so yeah all of those relationships just were not expected not something i was seeking out or searching for they just kind of happened organically and turned out to be the most valuable thing um from that time period of my life and then the podcast, I, I think it's like just the relationships, the friendships, like even coaching, right? The friendships that grow from just coaching and becoming friends and getting close with, you know, your students and your community. It's something that kind of blows my mind. Yeah, I that's mean it's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Somebody in my community is just like was traveling around like the United States and like meeting other members of the community, right? And like I, you know, we we met at the Atlanta airport for uh, like an hour or so. He had a layover and it just kind of dawned on me that like, wow, like I made a thing that like it was just me and the Slack bot in the community. Like I remember the day that it was me and the Slack bot, you know, and like people are just <laughs> connecting outside without me even being involved. And that was just, a, a, yeah, it just made me happy and quite an unexpected thing. Yeah, that's a cool story. Um, what's something that you feel folks who are chasing their poker dreams don't spend enough time thinking about?
2: Self-awareness. I do think we're all fucked up in a certain way and we all have our own problems. I just think what separates people that made it to the top or have gotten successful, that either they have a natural ability or it's it's somewhat inherent that they're just more self-aware of what you need to work on. And some others just have layers of layers of layers of bullshit on on top of of their problems and can't really see where they need to go. And also not willing to put in the work, maybe meditation, journaling, whatever helps improving your self-awareness to really penetrate all these layers of of distraction and, and bullshit that has been put there on top from social media and Movies or expectations, uh, social brainwashing paradigms from your parents, wherever it's coming from. And just having this ability, really this zooming out, changing your perspectives, th- seeing things with a clear mind, um, high level of self-awareness, it's just something that I would put on the because ultimately everything like fucked up bankroll management, why does it come from? Well, because you, you overestimate yourself. What, what's the cause of that? Unawareness, very low level of self-awareness, um, maybe lacking the ability to learn properly, to focus, and then really grasping concepts and learning properly that you're able to apply these concepts. Where does it come from? Also, a low level of self-awareness, no level to to concentrate. Because also, high, if you have a high level of self-awareness, you also you can focus well, well. you can study well. It just goes hand in hand. So it, a, lot, a lot comes really down a lack of self-awareness, in my opinion.
1: No, it's great stuff, man. Uh, just greatness bombs galore in there. Uh, it segues- and also, it's
2: not something that, uh, because I also, I, it's, it's it's really dangerous to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm more enlightened, right, than someone else, or I'm, I'm, I'm smarter, or I'm better, or whatever. I don't think it's really that. I think that just some people really have a higher level of self-awareness and put in the work to overcome their traumas, their problems, and some others don't. And that's just, that's just, in my opinion, how, how I see things. And, um, and then ultimately, the, the, the result of it will be ultimately that you're going to be successful or achieve the goals that you set out. And
1: awareness is, you know, just from like a practical standpoint. I remember playing in a game one time with uh, Josh Arie, who's been on the podcast. We were playing a PLO game and he was buried. And I remember he bought like 25K in chips and was like about to buy back in and sit back down and just had like a moment of clarity. And he just said, I'm going to dust this off if I play. And then he just like stood up and left. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me as like, you know, the folks that just torch their bankroll, right? The folks that get stuck and end up just battling for 48 hours and just you know, going broke over and over and over and over again. Like you need to have self-awareness to realize like I am compromised right now. Like I am not in a rational state of mind, a rational state of being. And then because like if you're not aware that this is happening, you, you can't take action. Only by being aware can you take the action of like, oh, this is a this is good things are not going to happen if I keep going. Um so I need to like collect myself and regroup, you know, but just so tactically you have to be aware. Um, and I I think that like, it comes at major decision points in your poker sessions as well. Like you can be biased or influenced by some sort of inner emotion, um, that causes you to make subpar decisions. And like, if you have no awareness that like that part of your body is pinging you to do something Mm -hmm. that is going to, not going to end well, you, you can't correct that either. So like, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and segueing into the next question. Uh, what's something that you think folks spend too much time thinking about?
2: Bluff catching and bluffing. I just had a session today with one of our partners on stream as well. And we're talking about this, um, when students bring hands or when I see other people reviewing I mean, this is probably what just pros should focus a lot on and the average player beginners in the media. It's absolutely insane to me. How much time I feel like 90, 80, 90% of the time goes into studying difficult bluff catcher sports, bluffing sports and 10% of the time uh, in maybe 20% of the time in playing how they play their value hands. But if you, and, and In these days, you can even get access to solvers for free for like a try period. And if you would just watch and see how much profit, how many BB you generate from your value hands versus your bluffs and bluff catchers, it's astonishing to me that most people don't reverse it and focus 70, 80% of playing their value hands properly, because you can generate all win rates of 50, 60, 70, 80 big blinds per hand when you have a good hand versus 0 eight big blinds with a bluff or bluff catcher. So what do you think? What determines your win rate? To play your value hands properly or to play your bluffs properly? If you skip a bluff or two, if you maybe make a tight laydown and you don't find the proper call on, it's not going to cost your win rate as much as if you fuck it up with your value hands. If you bet half pot instead of pot and you miss 15 big blinds on the turn, if you die and don't find this, that thin value bet on the river that can bring you 20, 30, 40 big blinds, that's gonna like that's insane for your win rate.
1: Yeah, it's it's Pareto principle, right? Like twenty twenty percent of the thing affects eighty percent of win rate, and so focus on the twenty percent, right? And most yeah. of win rate is generated from maximizing value. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's just for sh- I could could not agree more that like first thing is maximize your good hands. Like when you have good hands, you need to maximize value. Yeah um what's some common poker advice you hear that you
2: completely disagree with if we call the charm we have to call the river that's the most worst cringe um and then something like uh all oh, we invested already one third of our stack we can't afford anymore for preflop situations uh like three if you want to three with your 20 big blinds or min raising after min raise with 10 big blinds. we can't afford anymore like i just I've seen and heard so many advice so are just like, oh my God, that's just so terrible. Um,
1: I can't really comment on 10 Big Blind Poker. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea Let what to do. You that, you if I have min- to... Race. Yeah. Or if
2: I... with 10, even nine, even eight big blinds, it's definitely possible. It's all about the odds that you get in the equity, and not the stack size you're raising off. At some point, you reach a threshold where you have to raise call your entire range, maybe it's 6.7 big blinds or whatever. But this is because the odds we get and not the stack size we raise with in the first place. And 10 big blinds, if you raise twos off or nine big blinds and someone jumps on you, you, you fall. You're not committed. You don't get the right price to call it off. And that's what matters. So sort of what most people don't understand.
1: Yeah, and as it relates to like saying calling the turn, um, always calling the river. It's like sometimes they like they don't bet the river every time, right? And like if they just underbluff, then calling the river doesn't make much sense, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: Um, and also, so, the
2: rivers can change everything. Like, yeah,
1: we're not at the river yet, yet, right? Like yeah. we don't have the data point of what the river is going to bring. Um, so there's information that has been yet to be realized so like when that information is realized then you just look at the situation as it is yeah absolutely um if you could gift every poker player one book to read and it doesn't have to be about poker mm-hmm. what would you gift them
2: uh pretty easy eckhart tolle new earth
0: i think
1: jungle man recommended that as well mm-hmm. what it's worth Jung- you and jungle yeah. eckhart tolle why eckhart tolle
2: I think the first 20, 30 pages are very difficult to read. Uh, It's probably what it was skipping until, but I think midway through the book, it just gets so insane where at least I had a lot of epiphanies. I had a lot of aha moments and I just learned so much about self-awareness, the ego, the pain body, and was just I could resonate with so many situations in my life and I could finally understand where it's coming from. Before that, I was like, okay, just the way I am, uh, the way I react, respond to people in relationships, in poker, and I was just, that's the way I am. I can't do anything about it. And then you suddenly understand where certain emotions, certain frustrations, anger, where it's coming from, how you can cope with it, how you can change your relationship to it. It's not about suppressing it, and this is just something that has really opened my eyes and. A lot of the time I have spent on perhaps working on myself, I just realized, okay, it's actually not about trying to fix it or working on it in terms of denying it, suppressing it, right? The way most people approach it is they try to ignore, it's like, okay, that's not part of me and this is how I fix it and I move on. But ultimately, will it will come back. And it is it is the way you are. It is the part of you and it's just about changing your relationship to it and you know, what you resist will persist. And I just started, I, I just had so many insights on general, how we operate, how we work as human beings in, in terms of our mind and just being present and how how it can really impact your life. And also what was very interesting to me is around the pain body, how an entire industry is built on negative emotions, how we can get addicted addictive to negative emotions. I mean, why do you think Uh, the entire entertainment industry is built on on negative emotions, right? Um, Action movies, murder, news, everything is around negativity, like 90% of the time, right? Because we are addictive. And and he explains very well why negative emotions and positive emotions, uh, what it has to do with frequencies and why we are um, more prone to be addictive to those emotions, why Certain people cannot get out of toxic relationships because it just it feels so addictive to be to to be attached to that drama, to that to those negative emotions. And it's, it's very interesting what once you uh read about the, the yeah, the, the science, but I don't want to spoil too much because I'm also embarrassing myself too much here if I get too scientific. So yeah, just give it a read. It's it's definitely worth in a lot of different areas. For a lot of even if it's just you're not interested in poker, maybe you stumbled across this channel here. Uh, just for your relationships. you. I mean, it's not a poker book by any means, so it's
0: helpful <laughs> for your life, but
2: it's definitely very helpful for poker as well.
1: It's probably doubtful that somebody's listened to this whole conversation and has no interest in poker. I would say... Well, no. <laughs> you never know. But yeah, like, uh, basically, one thing that you mentioned there is just suppressing emotions, right? And feeling like they're just bad or negative and you know, we just give a lot of power to our struggles when we suppress them and deny them. And the reality is we just need to be aware that they're there. Um, and then work, you know, and then go start at that point and then go from there, but never try to like, you just can't switch off emotions. We are biologically emotional creatures. You can't just, you know, even as poker players, right. You can't just become a machine because like you are a human being and thank God for that. Right. Because else, we would experience no joy or pain either way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be? Sorry, can you repeat that, please? If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker.
2: What, what, is, a, what is a magic wand? Like, is it like a wish or?
1: Yeah, you rub, rub the genie lamp and he gives, mm-hmm. you, he gives you only one wish. What would you a wish poker. For? Yeah. <laughs> what is a magic wand? That's funny. Um,
2: it's tough to say. Um, I mean, I wish it would have way more, a way bigger audience. Um, but I feel like it's more the result that needs to happen in, before that in order for this to happen. Right. so, but if if I would have had wish, I was like maybe ten times the the audience of poker um because it deserves it it's an it's an it's an insane game a lot of money's at stake um and the most obvious one would probably uh, cut the rake in half less rake more people less playing rake.
1: the game yes. things i can i can certainly get behind uh if you could put up a billboard that every poker player has got to drive past on the way to the casino what does your billboard mm-hmm. say
2: Mm, don't bluff ben cb (laughs) Uh, what would you put on the billboard
1: uh, i don't know i'm not sure i it it changes so often i I think like one that gets kind of repeated over and over i I think is just be kind treat others with respect I, i think like that's just a part of poker that, you know, when, when we talk about growing the game 10 X and getting more people involved, it, a large part of that is having an environment that facilitates that. And
2: yeah, true, in, yeah.
1: it includes just being kind to the people that you're playing against. You know, it, it is a competition and there are emotions and it's okay to like express emotions, but calling people names, just making it a, a bad atmosphere. I just think there's really no place for that. And yeah, it's just something that if I could wave my magic wand, that's one of the things I would I would get rid of. Um, that's a good one, yeah. What What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart?
2: Actually, right now, um, there are two projects that I'm really passionate about. One is poker, one is non-poker related. The poker related one is that we are developing a new tier for PAIR, which is our study software where you are basically getting to practice pre-flop ranges in early mid-stage of the tournament, ICM adjusted. ICM has a much bigger impact on pre-flop ranges than I think most people think. and It's incredibly hard to study because the sims are incredibly huge. Uh, if you consider the payout structures, it's like three, four, 500 players left. So yeah, you get to practice how it Change, how ranges change from the beginning of the tournament up until the point that 50% of the field are busted, up until the point you reach the money bubble, practicing the money bubble, practicing final table ranges. Um, because as it turns out, GTO, just purely chip V GTO ranges are not very useful for tournament poker. And yeah, this is a project now that, that we have been working on. We are importing a lot of ranges. I will create video content around. I think that's going to be a massive massive game changer for a lot of people once they discover oh wait i'm supposed to do this year all right um and then the second project is esports we're big in esports with a scent club uh, we just got valorant world champions and yeah this is just a project that is very exciting um signing new teams working with the players just makes a lot of fun
0: what what
1: are your what is your responsibility in the esports
2: uh i'm i'm the founder and owner of a club before that it used to be raze edge gaming it was before um we entered valorant with riot they're very um yeah they're prohibiting sponsors with a gambling background so then we basically stopped raze edge gaming and started a new project started a new company with a cent club
1: why uh, why gaming
2: Oh, I, when I stopped playing football, I also was enjoying playing video games. I was playing uh, video games myself professionally. I just love uh, esports. And I think it's the future of, uh, of competitive gaming. Uh, Not, not only esports, but also in comparison to any other regular sports. I think the way the the next generations, it's just everything is going to be around smartphones, tablets. And yeah, I, I just, I, I think, not necessarily because of esports, I just really enjoy working with young aspiring people. Awesome, um man. yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a it's a cool industry. I still love to play games myself and I same I did with poker. I'm just trying to connect, you know, my passion, my hobby with um something that looks very prosperous in the future, which is esports. Yeah, that,
1: that sounds great. That's awesome.
2: And I'm I'm trying to follow my own rules, connect your passion with <laughs> with uh potential or with uh, something that people want them. and
1: and yeah. going, going back to that first project when do you anticipate launch uh
2: i want to get content out there as soon as possible uh, probably around somewhere maybe beginning mid end of february beginning of march something and that's in that range cool so quite soon quite mm-hmm. soon yeah, yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah um yeah so just one more question for you. And that's if the Chasing Poker Greatness listener wants to learn more about you on the World Wide Web, where can they find you?
2: Twitter, Ben C B, YouTube, Razor Edge. Uh, we also have a Twitter channel for Razor Edge, Instagram, Razor Edge, and Ben C B. If you just type it in, you would very likely find us. We also recently released a free course. So if you want to get into uh tournament poker and you don't really know where to start, entirely for free, you can sign it up. You get your first you make your first steps in the world of studying poker and you can see if it's something for you. And yeah, just um, learn concepts around pre-flop, post-flop, ICM, bankroll management. And uh, it's basically the same, what I did with the tournament student Go course, because there's, again, also not really structured free content. And I got this get this question a lot, where can I start? Yeah. and Or how can I start studying if I don't want to spend money yet? I mean, it's again a bit controversial if you want to study something and don't spend money. I think in these days, yeah. I mean, you have to probably then go on YouTube, but it's not very structured, but I at least wanted to do like a mini course where people, um, uh, make their first steps, uh, studying without spending a lot of money.
1: Awesome, man. And if you're an aspiring MTT player, I think raise your edge is like, again, uh, this is totally unqualified, um, promotion here by me since I don't play MTTs, but, uh, all I can say is like, I've heard from many, many different places that your course highly influential in their poker careers and attribute a lot of their long-term success to you specifically. So can't Thank be you. a bad Happy place to go raise dot Um, Ben, it's been great having you on the show. Very much appreciate and value your time. And yeah, let, let's,
2: let's well. do this again in the near future. Absolutely. Brad, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.